Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development discussion series featuring candid conversations with business leaders and innovators across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts on how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and talented workforces in the nation. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Welcome back to the Michigan Opportunity. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast or download the Michigan Opportunity through your preferred podcast platform. And now, your host, Ed Clemente. Hello, I'm your host, Ed Clemente, and we're very fortunate to have someone actually in Washington, D.C., and that's Michelle Beckering. She's the National Engagement Director for the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Michelle. Ed, I'm delighted. Thanks for letting someone from Washington, D.C. join. I think you're our first guest ever from the heart of our country. So uh, thank you for being on the show today. Let's start out with something simple. But, you know, the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition is a bit of a mouthful. So if you were to bump into somebody who had no idea, never heard of it before, what do you kind of tell them real quick? So, you know, just over a quick question. Sure. Well, the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition is a nationwide bipartisan organization, and we are dedicated to America's global leadership. Why, why do we invest in this? Why do we support this? Because we understand the return on the investment it has here at home, both on our economy as well as our stability and security. And, and I know that you tend to have a lot more... Um, sort of like three big kind of pillars, but I know business is one of them. And that's kind of what the show is about, economic development. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more with uh, the business angle of what you guys do? I'm glad you asked that because I think oftentimes when we're having discussions around foreign policy or national security, right, we, we think of the military, we think of our top diplomats. But USGLC, one of our pillars is, as you mentioned, the business community, right? So when we're talking about why does it matter for Americans that we are involved in diplomatic or development initiatives overseas, we do that because we're informed by, right, the business community, right? What does it mean for trade? What does it mean for job creation? Uh, what does it mean for each state? to have America have strong bilateral and trade ties overseas. And we couldn't be informed by that if we weren't working with the business community who so personally feels the effects of this. Yeah. And, and in fact, um, you know, I know there's quite a few, Michigan has quite a few large international players, obviously the automotive industry, but furniture and food production. And I know food's a big one for you because you're actually a Midwest person. You're from Iowa originally. So, I mean, you know how important food is and growing of crops. And why don't you touch a little bit about those products? Because I know you guys focus a lot on that. I've been on a couple of your calls where you've talked about food and international trade with food even. Absolutely. And, and Ed, I'm glad you brought it up because if you didn't, you know, I would have. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I like to think of myself as Iowa's ambassador. Um, but yes, I listen, I'm a proud Iowa farm girl, right? My parents still live on the family farm, you know, growing soybean and corn. And to your point, I think when you grow up in communities like that, and I know, as you mentioned, Michigan's a strong uh, agricultural uh, state. We recognize, right, America feeds the world, right? Our heartland feeds the world. And increasingly, when I look back at the 20 plus years I've spent now in international development, I see so clearly that correlation between food and hunger and malnutrition and what we see overseas um, through rising conflict and insecurity. And so it is always really important to, one, look at what is the role, you know, food is playing. And in America, in some ways, the our agricultural uh, commodities have been such a strong diplomat for the American people, right? We are generous. You know, we are helping with um, those initiatives to make sure there's food security. And we also recognize the business aspect of it, right? And, and what it means to a state. So if I look at Iowa, if I look at Michigan, what I'm constantly looking at in my line of work, in my advocacy is how much of your exports, of your goods, of your services, of your commodities, how many jobs is that creating in the state, right? How much of your GDP is based on that? And and I'm always impressed. I look at a state like Michigan, 19% of all your jobs are created by trade, right? And Michigan is such a leader, right? If I look at the country itself, Michigan is, I believe, the uh, country's sixth highest, or excuse me, it's the state economy that's had the sixth highest growth. Why is that? It's because of your agriculture. It's because you're a leader in manufacturing and research and development, right? And this is important, and it is something we keep in mind when we're looking at what is that global landscape. And you know, you know, you say those like the, the global field, but you were actually working, and weren't you? I don't know your official title, but I know you were pretty high up with USAID, right? Can you explain what that? Because I think a lot of Americans don't know what USAID is, and you were right there at the forefront of that, especially internationally. Yes. So I spent the last four years at the U.S. Agency for International Development. I was actually nominated by President Trump and then unanimously confirmed by the U.S. Senate. So for those of your listeners who might not know, USAID is the world's largest bilateral donor of development and humanitarian assistance, right? So we work overseas to reduce poverty, again, to, um, you know, feed people, uh, to really hit so many of our development goals. But what I learned at USAID and in the programs I oversaw was this. There is a remarkable link between our foreign assistance and our economy and stability here at home. What do I mean by that? I oversaw our economic growth and trade portfolios, as well as our private sector engagement. And when I looked back at U.S. assistance globally, I can tell you right now that 11 out of the top 15 trading partners of the USA of the U.S. today were former recipients of U.S. assistance. Those initial investments we made in building up their countries, you know, building up their abilities and their societies has paid off uh, multitudes now in what? Trade, 
the trade we're able to have with these countries. You know this in Michigan. When I look at Michigan and I look at the top five countries you know, you trade with, three, again, were former recipients of USAID. So why is that? We really believed at USAID in this, in, in the adage you always hear, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. What do we know? We know that for every dollar we spend overseas in building up a country, right, helping them develop their economy uh, socially, politically, it means we oftentimes will save $16 on the back end if we were required to come into an area and address a conflict through military means. You know, those are those are numbers you can't ignore, right? And so we believe in development and diplomacy. We understand this forward investment of creating, frankly, not only a, a secure and stable world, but also recognizing that it affects and benefits everyone. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Thanks for joining us on the Michigan Opportunity, brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Whether you're looking for small business resources, exploring an expansion or relocation, or seeking a world-class workforce, visit michiganbusiness.org to learn how you can make it in Michigan. Your host of the Michigan Opportunity, Ed Clemente. Why don't you explain a little bit about each state that you work with? You have like a little board. Is there any people you want to mention? I know Michigan, I, I full disclosure, I'm actually I'm one of your advisors, I think, for whatever, for the state of Michigan. But I know you have some other really big names on there, too. And I would I would say you're one of the biggest names. <laughs> I don't think so, but I appreciate it. No, and, and one of the, I would say the strengths at USGLC is that we are focused, right? We are built upon our membership in the States and Michigan is one of our prime, um, our proud uh, uh, members. And so what does this mean? So like everywhere, we recognize that sometimes when we sit in Washington, D.C., right, we can be in the bubble. And so if we're going to advocate on issues like foreign policy, on international development, it's really important for us to be just directly tied into the voters, into the states. What matters to you? And so in Michigan, all of our work in advocacy is really founded on the strength of our advisory committee. I think many of you know our um, our state chair, who is Hank Meyer. I know that's a household name here. I just shopped there last night, just so you know. Yeah, there you go. See? Um, and, and Quentin Messer, and I, I know you know Quentin well, right? The CEO of MEDC. And, and again, I just want to thank both you and Quentin for having me here on today to talk about this. We also have elected officials, right? Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist. Um we have corporate members. We have uh, Marianne Reich. I know she's with Global Ties Detroit. So we have a big membership. Tom Cooney, um, he's the vice president over at General Motors. This is important to us because, again, we need that business uh, acumen, right? We need the elected officials to tell us why this matters for the state. And I would be so remiss, Ed, if I didn't mention our strong veteran. Uh, community. Right now, through USGLC, we have the Veterans for Smart Power Initiative. This is 30,000 American veterans, many of whom are in the state of Michigan, who, again, serve as not only our advocates, but our advisors on why it's so important, specifically from a military perspective, why we should be investing in development and diplomacy. And, you know, um, 
one other aspect too. I know Nazar Jamal's like your uh, key point guard here for Michigan, but he does quite a few. I think he does the Midwest, right? I think he's got Correct. several stats. And but I do know that um, you know your organization has really helped put on some great seminars. As I mentioned, I've been on a couple of them myself, and we try to help work with you guys to help work with our congressional delegation. And we should also put in a your former. Uh, coacher who passed away recently was Senator Levin, who I'm sure you knew personally, probably because he did a lot with the military and a lot of other things, but he was just a great outstanding person as well as a great diplomat too. Absolutely. And can I say, I, I was remiss for not mentioning him myself. That's okay. I, what a loss. Not only yeah. to the state of Michigan, but to all of us in the country. Yeah, I, I worked with him quite a bit, you know, in his capacity, but he was really sort of a moderate sort of Democrat that uh, really cared about the country first, you know, and he was well-respected here in the state. Um, and so I'm down, we're, we're getting close to the end, but I still got a couple big things. I want to make sure, one thing I like to ask all the guests is... Um, what trends are disruptors? You've touched on a few of them, but obviously working out of D.C., you probably see it very differently than we do in the state. So anything you want to? I'm going to say two things that come to mind. One from sort of my uh, my professional perch in D.C., but also one that's really of personal um, importance to me. So let's start with trade. Let's start with China. Right. We're all coming out of a global pandemic. Right. What did we see? economies everywhere were affected. Global supply chains were disrupted. We're still building out of that. And throughout all of this, we were starting as Americans, and especially I'll talk for someone who, again, was in the U.S. government at that time. We were really, even before COVID, starting to look at our trading landscape and really looking at the trade imbalances we saw and always trying to be forward thinking, especially in the business sector, as you have to be in your organization, really worried about as Americans, right, either as manufacturers, as commodity trainers, traders, excuse me, are we losing our edge, right? Especially when you look at a country like China, right, who might not always, in our estimation, play by the same rules, right, when it comes to currency valuations, etc. And so one of the things I think as a an as Americans, but also a global community, we're all thinking about is what is the future of trade, right? What is the future of business and manufacturing? And I'm specifically thinking about the idea when we talk about so often, can we bring all of the jobs home? Can we just produce all materials in the United States? Let's onshore everything. One for the optimist in me would like to say yes, but the realist in me says, it's not going to be possible. And frankly, we couldn't afford as American consumers to even buy those products, right? What is business nowadays? When you look at trade, it's really a partnership, right? I need some of your supplies. You need some of mine. Guess what? Here's our end product. So one of the things we talk about a lot is the idea of instead of offshoring, can we ally shore? How do we work more closely with our global partners? I'm thinking of the automotive industry, right? You've got the big three there, right? How are we working with Japan, with South Korea, uh, with Australia, right? When, when we're looking at semiconductor chips or, or any project we're looking at and saying, can we sort of reorient who our trades with who our trade is with, and who we're doing business with. And so I think this idea of bringing in more into the, the discourse, this idea of instead of just 
offshoring or onshoring. Let's talk about the media. And, and as someone who really believes strongly in bilateral relations, you know, this idea of ally shoring to me is something we need to give much more attention to. And then on a personal note, I, something that um, I was really proud of the last four years of the administration is we really took targeted measures to look at what is the future of the American worker, right? As I started to mention, you know this in Michigan, we are increasingly becoming an automated country with automated uh, industries, high tech, AI. What does that mean, though, for the American worker, anyone who's been in a factory for 30 years to someone just starting out in trade schools? Are we not only as education systems, as the government, but specifically as corporations and businesses, are we looking at how we, one, help those workers who may have been in an, an industry for a very long time? gain or evolve their skills so that they can still be in these industries in good paying jobs while also bringing on, you know, the next generation of our skilled trades workers. And this is something I think we need to give more attention to. Thank you again. Uh, once again, our guest today was Michelle Beckering. She's the National Engagement Director for U.S. Global Leadership Coalition. Thanks again, Michelle, for taking time. I know you got a busy schedule and appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. And the pleasure was mine on behalf of USGLC. Thanks to you and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. And, and we're just delighted to be working with you all. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Thanks for joining us today on the Michigan Opportunity. To hear more discussions like this, visit the Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. Fortunate today to have Steve Diokas. He is the director of the U.S. APEC Host Secretariat. Uh, I know that doesn't probably explain a lot of exactly what you do, but can you kind of tell us, first of all, there's two separate parts in there, APEC, and then what you do separately as the secretariat, too. Sure, Ed. Happy to. Uh, I've been on the team since September of last year. We are a team within a team here at the Department of State. Uh, we are the coordinator for U.S. participation in APEC, which is the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. It's a forum of 21 countries around the Asia-Pacific region who work together to uh, promote trade and investment and economic opportunities across the region. So each year, one of the 21 countries, or in APEC world, we call them economies, hosts for the year. So this year, 2023, the United States is hosting APEC. So in order to help coordinate all of the different pieces, logistic pieces, policy pieces uh, of hosting APEC, we've really built up our team. So I sit here with about almost 20 other colleagues who really help us coordinate the 15 federal agencies that work on APEC issues, also coordinate with the White House, where we take lead from the president uh, on many of our APEC issues, and then coordinate with embassies and con embassies here in Washington, around the country, and with our embassies and consulates in the APEC region to help explain what we do and make sure that the work that we're doing in APEC benefits workers, families, and businesses in the U.S., across the region, and across the globe. And, um, you know, could you just highlight just to who the 21 countries are, too, a little bit? 
Sure. If you were to look at a map of the Pacific Ocean and draw almost a perfect circle all the way around, so the east and west sides of the Pacific, so starting with the U.S., we look into the north. Canada is a member, Mexico, Peru, and Chile. Then going southwest, New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, Brunei, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, China, uh, South Korea, and Japan are all members. So we have quite a diversity, geographic diversity, in terms of size. and pop- We have the, the giant economies like the U.S., China, and Japan. We have some middle-sized economies, the Mexico's and Australia's, uh, other region- and some very small economies like Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, I forgot to mention. Uh, Brunei, a relatively small Peru, relatively smaller economies, but all working together, each uh, economy or nation at that APAC table has an equal voice. It's a consensus-based body working uh, together to improve uh, lives and livelihoods across the region. So it started in the late 80s, 1989, first got off the ground, has grown uh, in a couple of waves since then. So we're now at the 21 members currently part of APAC. And all of them had representatives here in the Detroit, in Detroit or, um, or many of them, as many as you can. I don't right. know how many. All make of it. them came to Detroit. We were we brought the whole uh, APEC project uh, to Detroit May 14th through 26th. It was the second big group of meetings we had. Before I joined the team, I knew APEC as sort of the annual summit that happens each November and the leaders used to wear funny shirts and they would gather together and talk about ways <laughs> we can work together. And I realized coming to the team, it is far more than just that one meeting with the leaders uh, at the end of the year. It's a series of working groups and ministerial meetings and uh, activities, workshops, site visits over the course of the year. So we did our first big grouping of meetings in Palm Springs, California in February. Then we came to Detroit in May. We'll go to Seattle in July and August, and then we'll finish the year with the big uh, Leaders Week Summit in San Francisco in the middle of November. So sort of like uh, when you do have these meetings, they're like the Oscars, but there's movies coming out all year round and there's projects going on all year round. But this is a way to bring everybody together at least once. Exactly. And and we, we want to make sure that we're doing these meetings, not just in Washington, where we speak to the, you know, the regular audience of people who know uh, a lot of these issues that we work on, but to go to places that are significant to the American economy and helping tell their story as part of the broader American story to all of our visitors from the other 20 economies who come and see what's going on here in the U.S. How do we handle a lot of these challenges which are common throughout the region of increasing energy uh, resiliency, improving uh, supply chains, especially in the wake of COVID? How do we work together on health cooperation and setting standards on trade and investment to uh, improve uh, investment flows and trade uh, flows that bring prosperity to places like Michigan, which has historically been a, a major exporter and major innovator, and allowing, you know, breaking down the barriers that might limit trade from uh, Michigan to some of its its key partners. That's one of the great strengths of APEC, I think, is the size. I mentioned these 21 countries or economies that participate with us. It's about 40% of the global population. It's about 3 billion people. About half of global trade is between these countries. And about 60% of the global GDP or the global economy is among these 21 economies. So the scale of APEC is significant. Also, about 60% of all U.S. exports 
are to these 20 other countries. And seven of our top 10 trading partners are also APEC members. So what we do to reduce barriers to trade and investment into the U.S. are designed to really help improve lives and livelihoods here in Michigan and across the country, my home state of, of Illinois, elsewhere, every corner of the U.S. We really want to see, um, share with them the benefits of participation in APEC and broader economic engagement in this very dynamic Asia-Pacific region, why it matters to everyone, whether you are uh, working for General Motors in Michigan or you're a cattle rancher in Nebraska or you're a software developer in Redmond, Washington, all of us really have a stake in what we're doing in APEC. Yeah, and it's interesting that you're a Midwesterner, you know, you're a Chicago guy, at least a suburban Chicago guy, but I'm sure you tell people where you're from, you say Chicago, just like I say I'm from Detroit, because people kind of know cities almost more than they do states a lot of times. And so when you travel, I'm sure there's a lot of people, I'm sure even where you work, uh, are from the Midwest, because a lot of people like to work in D.C. or just, you know, when they get their degrees, they just work somewhere else a lot of times, that, that you probably had a lot of people who had some experience. But you did say something interesting to me in the little bit of the prep call, is how many people who had never been here before and what their impression was? Yeah, it was really amazing. Everybody on both the U.S. team uh, and from the other economies that came to Detroit were so impressed by what they saw. Many Americans in particular had been near or through or around Detroit, but very few had spent much time in the city, uh, including myself. I, I had been through uh, Detroit on the way to Canada many times, went over the Ambassador Bridge, uh, but I hadn't really spent much time in the city until we were on the ground. And we were just amazed by what we saw, the voices we heard, the pride and particularly the passion of, of Detroiters for the city uh, and what's going on and telling that story. We had a, a reception where Mayor Duggan was uh, very involved in a lot of the events at APEC. We heard from the deputy mayor, came and spoke to us at a welcome reception, and he told the story of how we did an event at the Colony Club in Detroit. And he had last been there 28 years ago when he was uh, in uh, training to be a police officer. And that was part of the police academy uh, for a while. of just how that building symbolized the changes in the city of Detroit and, and the really tough situation the administration faced when they came on board in 2014 and just how much they've done to, you know, with the nuts and bolts of getting the city running smoothly and working well, and then inviting investment, people to come and take part of this great energy and enthusiasm, the innovation that we had, uh, several of our uh, groups go out and visit, uh, see some of these uh, sites in action, but also hear the voices, making sure that we incorporated uh, workers, uh, diaspora communities, small business chambers, uh, all of these folks be part of this conversation that we have. Our, our theme for the APEC year is creating a resilient and sustainable future for all. So it really touches on, on three key issues of resiliency, sustainability, and inclusion. And Detroit was a, a great destination, a great place to host because of the story that Detroit and the people of Detroit can really tell about how they are uh, transitioning the city to a really bright and very exciting future. And we heard from many of our colleagues coming from uh, overseas of, you know, they're going back with this question of, well, where's our Detroit in 
South Korea or Japan or Indonesia or Australia? And what can we learn from what we saw uh, from the Detroit example that we could incorporate with us, whether it's on skills training, whether it's on investment promotion, whether it's on uh, cultural connectivity, whether it's tapping diaspora communities of folks who come from around the world, very rich uh, communities in, in Detroit, and really using all of the resources, being very thoughtful, very inclusive in taking the best ideas and the best innovations and really putting them to work for the city, the state, and the country. We'll be right back with more on the Michigan Opportunity. Welcome back to the Michigan Opportunity. And now your host, Ed Clemente. So is this something that APEC, even though it's, you know, we obviously think of the Pacific Ocean, uh, but does is there like more you're going to be doing in the Midwest or like in the South or other parts of the country now? Is that kind of more of an initiative? Yeah, we said so we had a little bit of a, a short runway to uh, host APEC. So we put up our hand in 2021 and were confirmed last year. So we had usually the APEC hosts are determined a couple of years in advance, but nobody had put up their hand for 2023. And so we jumped in. And so we're happy to do it because it, it really is an important part of what the United States is doing in terms of engaging economically in this critical region, but also working with partners uh, around the world to help uh, advance initiatives that benefit the U.S., of course, but also help uh, raise uh, levels of prosperity across the region. Um, so we were able to, as we looking, once we had that window, we're going to be hosting, try and disperse the uh, sites as, as broadly as we could. Had a little bit of a challenge, we, as I learned the hard way, that a lot of major events are planned you know, five, six, seven years out. And so finding space for the scale of what we do just in Detroit, we had 1,300 people uh, coming for a couple of weeks. And so finding just simply you know, meeting space in hotel rooms is a bit of a challenge. So I, I wish we could have maybe had one more series of meetings somewhere, maybe in the in the South or Southwest. Fortunately, logistics and timing didn't allow us to do it. But we certainly don't want that time that we spent in Detroit to be a one-off. We really want to continue to stay engaged with the people of Detroit, hearing their thoughts, their ideas. We use we talk all the time about this role that we have for the private sector, for businesses big, medium, and small, feeding into what we do is the special sauce of APAC. A lot of times we have governments talking to governments about business and the economy and all these things that we should be doing without really talking to those businesses. So we have many formal and informal ways for the private sector to talk about these issues that we work on, give us ideas that help us think about and say, what do we want the president in November when he's out in San Francisco to say, here's some initiatives that we've agreed upon this year that were priorities for the U.S., that we want to carry on into the future. So whether they're about the digital economy, whether they're about the just energy transition, uh, whether they're about providing new health solutions, providing economic opportunities for women, helping increase our resilience after dis natural disaster strike, all of these things, getting feedback from private sector people who are on the ground, creating ideas, employing people, uh, investing, growing their businesses, increasing uh, employment and providing a, a really rich economic environment for wherever they are to continue to be part of this conversation. So we encourage people who are new to APAC or continuing their work to continue to write about it, think about it, talk about it, whether it's on, uh, you know, 
in in the media formally in their own private conversations or, or, or work groups following us on LinkedIn at our handle at USAPEC, USAPEC, following what we're doing uh, and finding ways to plug in. We'll continue to do in-person and remote events as many as we can through this year, but our, our work on APEC doesn't stop when we finish our host year and hand off next year to Peru, uh, but we'll continue to work on these issues uh, and continuing to find ways to get good ideas from people across the country, Michigan, Illinois, everywhere, uh, that we can help sharpen and refine U.S. policy to make sure that it delivers for U.S. workers, families, and businesses. Well, and you know, I, I think you probably had a chance to meet our governor. Or she was probably at one of the events, I'm sure. But she's been very aggressive, along with Quentin Messer, the head of the MEDC, to do more foreign direct investment. You know, we have obviously Mary Barra, I think, is on apex board or yes. something so we do have a lot of international companies in the state as well as uh, a lot of international companies period especially through automotive mobility sectors but we also have had a lot of traditional companies which you really don't think about like carhartt or pfizer or you know other ones that you wouldn't think about that are been here with kellogg's you know food food products a lot of them so uh Anything I think that we can do. And is there any other sort of uh, future trends you wanted to plug beyond? I think you hit quite a few, but if there's anything else you wanted to mention or any other stakeholders or partners you wanted to mention before we finish up here? Yeah, no, thanks for mentioning that piece on investment. Edit. That's a, a big part of the story that we also want to tell of these 21 APEC economies combine $1.7 trillion of investment in the U.S., employing about 2.3 million American workers. So there is a huge imprint of a lot of these countries, and especially uh, just in the last couple of years, I was reading just from South Korea, one of the our APEC partners, one of the biggest investors in the US, just since the start of the Biden-Harris administration, $100 billion of new investment into the United States, just from South Korea. And these are places all over the country, not just those places that we would always think of investing uh, in California or Illinois or other places, but in Georgia and Tennessee and Michigan and everywhere. So, yeah, that investment is a really big piece of what we want to do. And my hope, we always said before the start of the year, my hope is that at the end of this year, when we finish hosting APAC and we pass the torch to Peru, who will take the baton from us, is that we have really increased the understanding of the average American in both what APEC is, but also why engaging economically with this Asia-Pacific region is important to everybody. And that's one of the challenges I've been at the State Department for about 20 years. Most of my career has been overseas, but done a fair bit here in the U.S., is we haven't done a really good job connecting the dots and telling the average American why foreign policy matters to them and their communities and their livelihoods. And getting out and about through great opportunities like speaking with you uh, and speaking to other audiences across the country, going back to our hometowns and talking about, you know, I came from a, you know, I was graduate of this high school and I never thought about a career in foreign policy or foreign economics when I was 16 or 17. And I've had this incredible opportunity to travel the world to talk about and promote how American companies do what they do best. I served in Australia and Japan and China, Montenegro and the former Yugoslavia and Europe, uh, all of these great things, telling these American stories to audiences and helping American companies do what they do best. Also, you know, helping promote inward investment into the U.S., making sure 
that companies can take advantage of the enormous skills, uh, the reliability of the legal system, the transparency of what we do, and the dynamic growing American economy that we're able to benefit people. So that, I think, is my hope to continue to carry on this real passion that I have and so many of us around the State Department for telling that story in a better way, making sure that people across the country really understand uh, what we're doing and how their voices and their input to us can help make that better. That we don't want this to be a one-way conversation, just us telling what we do, but also soliciting ideas and opinions. What's working well? What's not working well? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? Uh, that's really, really important to us as, as we work to carry forward uh, as much as we can to, to keep growing the American economy and increasing prosperity across the, the whole country. Yeah, we're also fortunate, too, that we have the U.S. Department of State's diplomat in residence at the University of Michigan, Lou Finter, who was at that meeting exactly. as well. And he's always trying to recruit more people for the U.S. Department of State to go into, because it's something I'm like you, where if I would have known about this, I probably would have changed my career at some point earlier. But uh, it's it's just so glad you guys came here we appreciate apec all the hard work you guys do and for you hosting it here and we're glad detroit made a good impression on you we're always hustle harder here in detroit so we uh, appreciate you guys uh taking a look at us and opening up some opportunities for us as well uh thanks again once again our guest was steve Daukas. he's the director of the u.s apec house secretariat thanks again steve for doing the show today thanks so much for the invitation it was a real pleasure Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Opportunity. To hear more discussions like this, visit The Michigan Opportunity at thegreatvoice.com. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Whether you're looking for small business resources, exploring an expansion or relocation, or seeking a world-class workforce, visit michiganbusiness.org to learn how you can make it in Michigan. Michigan.